Hello, and welcome to the Dark Cryptids Podcast, hosted by myself, Devin Bloodworth. Every episode, we discuss the topics of cryptid and paranormal encounters, as well as dark history and just creepy things in general. Today, we will be retelling Skinwalker Encounters. For those who don't know what Skinwalkers are, they originate from Navajo culture. They are believed to be witches with the power to transform into people and animals. It is believed by the Navajo that their healers, known as medicine men and women, must learn good and bad magic in order to become a proper healer. Those that cannot handle the responsibility of the bad magic turn into witches, also known as skinwalkers. Now that you understand what skinwalkers are, let's get into tonight's retellings. So dim the lights, put in your headphones, and join us for Skinwalker Encounters. My Skinwalker Encounter by Redheaded Alex. I'm having a hard time remembering the stories told to me by my Navajo family, but when I Skype with them again, I will ask. For me, at least. This creepy set of events happened directly to me, though. So, here goes. My first personal encounter, encounters, that I know. It's lengthy. But hey, skinwalkers, they require backstory. It started when my two brothers, David and Luke, and Luke's girlfriend, Sarah, all drove down to the desert to spend some time in the country. This is a reservation land, as it were, so red dirt was everywhere, southern Utah, a majestically beautiful place if you ever get a chance. We had some pistols and decided to go out and target practice. We took our gear and some old targets to a place called Devil's Heartbeat. I had never been, but all three of them were familiar with the area. It was a canyon about 200 feet deep. We stayed on one end of the canyon, by the drop-offs and to our left was a ravine. About 50 feet over, the opposite side of the canyon rose above us, where some Anasazi ruins were. The Navajo may disagree with historians on the Anasazi's origins and departure. According to Navajo legend, they simply disappeared from existence, leaving behind plates, dishes, and food, and went into another dimension or some equivalent. But whatever the history, the Navajo do not like to wander at Anasazi ruins. I never asked why, but I figured it had something to do with disrespect, preserving history, etc, etc. As such, none of the others cared a bit about these canyon ruins. They were more interested in shooting pistols. I could see old beds, ladders, and even cave drawings on the cliffs with my naked eye. And I got this strange fixation on going over there. I am not Navajo, and I felt that their rules didn't apply to me. I set off down the cliffs without rope, and decided I would climb down, cross the canyon floor, and then climb back up. This was a bad idea for a million reasons, but it was like some obsession. I can't explain the feeling. It was like magnetism. I wanted to be in those ruins, and it wasn't just some tourist-like curiosity. It felt like I was meant to go there. I kept slipping and getting stuck on the rocks, and I was so frustrated I almost started crying. 
Finally, I was deterred by the unmistakable sound of a growl coming from the canyon floor below me. There were trees down there, so I couldn't see what was making the growl, but mountain lion immediately rose to mine, and I got my ass back up on the cliffside. I said nothing to the others, and we shot the guns for a while. The only other strange occurrence was while Sarah was aiming, things got eerily quiet. We all heard a sound from behind us, maybe 20 feet away. It was almost like a growl, then a hoarse laugh. Almost like a lion and then a hyena. We had a clear view of the entire area, and there was nothing there. Certainly not on clifftops where we heard it anyway. The creepy part was that while David, Sarah, and I all heard it from a close distance, Luke heard the exact same noise right by his ear. We ended up camping out there to see if anything would happen, and this is when I got completely terrified. Before, I was only scared of wild animals. We had guns, though, and we were sleeping with no bags or tents, just some blankets under the stars and a little fire, so I felt safe when we all laid down. I fell asleep pretty quickly but woke up a few hours later to see everyone else. Sorry, but woke up a few hours later to see everyone else laying with their eyes open wide, listening. The canyon was completely full of noises. The only way to describe it is people banging rocks together. There would be one set, maybe 300 yards away, then another, clacking 200 yards away, and then 50 yards away. The canyon echoes, so it was hard to tell exactly how many rock smacking rock noises there were, but they sounded like Morse code. We listened to this for maybe 10 minutes. No other animal noises, no nothing. Finally, David, who was kind of a hard ass and the least superstitious of his family, shouted, shut up, and everything immediately stopped. My heart was in my throat, and we just sat there and stared at each other, wide-eyed. It was dead quiet. And then we heard another super weird noise from the Anasazi ruins. I don't know how to explain this one either, but it sounded kind of like a zebra noise. Like those squeaky trills, it got louder. And then the rocks, sticks, whatever started up again. But this was worse because now other animal noises came. We heard what sounded like wolves or coyotes barking, monkeys screeching. In my opinion, those were the most terrifying. Owls hooting, and through it all, that terrible zebra noises. We said nope, and got our happy little asses out of there immediately. It took us maybe 10 minutes to douse the fire, pack our blankets, and speed away, and the noises were continuing that entire time. That night, I was obviously pretty shaken up. Before I could fall asleep again, my Navajo mother came and sat by me and said that she could tell I had a rough day. We hadn't mentioned the creepy shit to avoid a lecture about fucking with the spirits. She asked me about it, and I ended up spilling my guts about not seeing the canyon ruins. It was something personal, it felt like. I wanted to go there. Why couldn't I go there? It would have been beautiful. After I told her all about it, I could see that she had a really concerned look on her face. What is it, I asked, totally confused and she explained something I had no idea about. The spirits in the ruins like to lure people up. When they get up on the ground, the spirits push them off. That's why we don't go there. I remained creeped out for the remainder of the visit. 
the town had a public accessible kiva, kind of a tourist trap for a little podunk place. But since I didn't see the ruins up close, I went down into the kiva. And I went alone, as of course, my super sister's family refused to enter other natives' dwellings. I figured that nothing could push me off a cliff if I was in a kiva. I was right, but something even worse happened. Fast forward to a few weeks later, I worked at a shitty call center in Salt Lake City, third shift. It was my first night alone, and I was feeling jumpy ever since Akiva. My brothers already warned me that I had a skinwalker following me, but I, of course, didn't believe it. I don't smoke, but I followed my coworkers out for smoke breaks because I like to chat. Tonight, I lurked in the doorway because I had this horrible cloud of dread hanging over me. I was peeping out the glass door and being a total weirdo. It hit me then how paranoid I had been. That's what skinwalkers do. They mess with your mind. While I was pacing in front of the glass doors, I decided this whole thing was fucking stupid. And I was going to go outside and stand there for the rest of my 10 minute break. Most of the smokers were already filing back in. But I walked out and put my hands in my pockets, looked at the sky, looked in the building, mentally patting myself on the back for not being a pussy. Then, I saw something that I will never be able to give a rational or even halfway accountable explanation for. We have like six parking lots, and one of the lots far away from me, maybe a hundred feet, I could see something walking. It was a dog, obviously, but... It was almost limping and walked like it was tired or hurt. Animal animal lover me forgot all about skinwalkers, and I started walking towards it, making the tick, 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 come here doggy noises. And then I stopped abruptly. The dog had the body form of a greyhound, and it was grey, but there was something very wrong with it. It had bloody legs and limped, but it walked more like a person would on feet and hands. Its butt was moving to and fro, if that makes any sense. When it heard me, it just stopped without turning, something I'd never known any dog to do. And finally, it looked over its shoulder at me. And this is the freaky part. This dog was looking at me the way a person does. It had huge eyes, way too big for a greyhound. And its teeth were bared at me, like it was considering biting me. Then it growled, but it was like a whistle growl. Noises no regular animal makes. It almost sounded like it wanted to talk to me or is taunting me. Somehow, in the middle of all this, I realized it didn't have a tail, and I'd heard from all the Navajo stories that skinwalkers, when they appear as animals, don't have tails. Forgetting all logic and rationality, I turned and jetted. I didn't look back until I was back inside the building and had pulled the door shut behind me. And by then, when I looked, of course the fucking thing was gone. When I described this to my brothers, they were absolutely sure it was a skinwalker, and they went through the trouble of blessing me, my apartment, them, and their apartments. I never saw the creepy bloody dog again, and I have never since even slightly wanted to visit Cliff Ruins. Skinwalker Stories from the Past by Leisha Ninja on Reddit. This is a story my family told me when I was growing up. We live in a royal community on a Navajo reservation. 
my aunt and her two brothers were home alone while my grandparents had left for the evening to attend a chapter house meeting. They were in the house, and like many people from the reservation, they didn't have electricity. It had been dark outside for about an hour, and my aunt and my uncles were getting ready for bed. Outside, they heard noises, as if someone moving things around outside. My oldest uncle went to look out the front window and saw a figure out by the truck. This was immensely out of the ordinary, because the closest neighbor was miles away. Whatever it was opened the truck door and began to dig through the personal items that my family had left in a vehicle. My aunt and uncles were frightened by the sight and knew that they should take action. They took out the rifle and all steadied themselves to hold it up. They flung open the door and aimed a gun at the dark figure. The figure turned and started to walk towards them, totally unfazed by the weapon. My uncle pulled the trigger, but nothing happened. The figure drew closer, and my aunt began to smell something like a rotting corpse. It was so strong, it made her gag. My uncle continued to pull the trigger with no luck, and the figure came closer and closer. Off in the distance, headlights were coming up the road. My grandparents were returning. The figure looked towards the lights and started to move away and tucked itself behind a tree near the house. My oldest uncle ran toward the truck with the gun. My grandfather got out of the car and my uncle pointed to the tree. The thing was poking out its head to observe what we were doing. My grandfather ran into the house and over to the stove and grabbed a handful of ashes and rubbed over the gun and placed an ash-covered bullet into the chamber. He walked out onto the porch and fired toward the tree. Whatever that thing was didn't expect a gun to go off. The gunshot echoed, and a dark figure began running. My grandma chased my aunt inside, and my uncles and my grandfather went after it. There weren't many roads or paths, so as my grandfather and uncles chased after the figure, the truck was bouncing and the headlights were not fixed on one particular spot. My uncle swears that whenever the headlights would hit the figure, he saw a woman, not only that, whoever it was, running on all fours like a bear. My grandfather eventually stopped the truck, and as they neared the ditch that drops about 20 feet, he got out and began to yell in Navajo. My uncle says that he was yelling about a local woman. He yelled that he wasn't scared, and that he knew it was her, and to leave his family alone. A few days passed, and there was news that the woman my grandfather was yelling about had passed. I've always been told that if you know who the skinwalker is, say their name, and it will kill them. Now, this next encounter could be described as either an encounter with the rake or a skinwalker. However, I am including it in this episode due to how well told the story is. Skinwalker. My father told me a story once. I'll never forget it for a few reasons. I think it's the first story he ever told me as a child. It's also the story of how my grandfather died. But honestly, that isn't the reason. You hear stories on TV, or sometimes you overhear something in a public place. People talk, 
about ghosts and aliens, and you think to yourself, that isn't real. They're making it up, or they're mistaken, or they're crazy, or something like that. You just can't believe it until something happens. Something that brings it all together, connects the dots in a way you didn't think of before. Maybe it happens to you. Maybe you hear the same story again and again, happening to different people. It doesn't take long for the world to become a lot bigger than you thought it was. As I said, this is a story my father told me, but I never believed it, even though he swore up and down it was true. It wasn't until I started clicking around the internet, I started to believe. I started to hear other stories just like the one my father told me. It didn't take me long to believe in the rake. That's what my father called it, of course. He's never used the internet in his life. He wouldn't know what the consensus has taken a name in it. When he chose to call it something other than it or that thing, he called it Skinwalker after an old Navajo tale his grandfather told him. But I'll tell you the story the way he told it to me. We were out hunting one night, he told me. Coyotes, we'd kill them for 50 bucks a skin. They lived on a dairy farm in Ohio. They'd kill calves sometimes. We'd do it every night because we needed the money. Sometimes while we were out, we'd come on a deer and kill it. Our landlord didn't mind, and it could feed a family for a few nights and save us some money. Anyway, we were done making our rounds and heading home, walking, because we didn't have a car or some four-wheeler back then. We'd cut through the woods. That's when we came up on it. Blood everywhere, spattered on the trees and the grass and the creek everywhere. At first, we figured it was a pack of coyotes. We'd seen it sometimes. They can't scavenge and start hunting deer or cattle. The worst was when they bred with feral dogs, but this wasn't like that. See, when a pack of dogs or wolves or coyotes attack something, they do it right. They'll pick off one that's weak or sick or old or just small. They'll hunt it, draw it into a corner, someplace it can't get out of, and they'll run it to the biggest one, the alpha. And that deer will never see that alpha. It might hear it, but it won't see it. It'll just notice that its throat is gone, and then it'll drop dead. It's quick, it's clean. That wasn't what happened here. Something had run up on a den of deer. Coyotes won't attack a den. Wolves neither, because they'd get too much of a fight. There were three, I think, three bodies, just torn apart. You'd see a head here, a leg here, a torso there. Predators don't do that. They don't leave behind scraps. What had done this hadn't done it for food. It had done it for fun. But we didn't know that. We saw a bunch of carcasses, and we think it's something we got to take care of. I remember my dad telling me to go home. He thought it was a pack of feral dogs, but I wasn't leaving him, and I damn sure wasn't walking through two miles of woods alone with nothing but a 22 and a pocket knife. He was only 13 at the time, so a 22 rifle was about the only gun he could reliably use. Dad had the shotgun, and I wasn't going anywhere without it. It took me a while to convince him, but finally, we began tracking whatever did that. It wasn't hard either. We just followed the blood. Either that thing blooded deer before it got away, or it dragged one for a mile. I don't know. I know that I'd never seen my dad scared before that night. 
We started hearing noises. I've been in a lot of woods in my life. I've been all over the world, and I ain't never heard noises like I heard that night. I heard things screaming. Heard deer and fox and rabbits and raccoons and birds just scared. Keep in mind, this is maybe 12 or 1 o'clock. Except the fox and some birds, nothing was supposed to even be awake. But they weren't just awake, they were moving. I saw flocks of birds at night fly straight into trees, just trying to get out of there. We came up on a pack of coyotes, nearly shot a couple thinking it was what we were looking for. But then, we saw they were running towards us. They ran right past us, didn't even notice. Then, some deer did the same. Then some rabbits, squirrels, foxes, even a couple wild hogs. These things were supposed to be eating each other, and the only thing they cared about was getting out of there. We should have put it together, that maybe, whatever we were tracking, it wasn't something we were supposed to see, and it wasn't something we could kill. I don't know why we didn't just go home. I guess we were curious. I think that was my dad's nature, to go toward trouble, to fight, and knowing what I knew about my father did during the war, my nature was to stay close to him. We finally get into an open valley. It was normally a soy field, but it wasn't in season, so it was just flat dirt. We saw the tracks then. A lot of the animals fleeing the forest had paved over the land, but where that deer blood was, nothing had taken a single step, like they were leaving it for us to find. The tracks were shallow. Whatever it was, couldn't have weighed more than 100 pounds, but that didn't mean much. A bobcat weighing 40 pounds wet nearly tore out my damn throat once. All that means is that it's quick and hard to kill. So we follow the tracks, and it doesn't take us long to find where it is. There's this old schoolhouse that sits on top of a hill. Half of it had been ripped out by a tornado, but nobody lived there. Not for a long time. We caught homeless people in there. Sometimes. Or druggies looking for a safe place to shoot up. We figured maybe that was it. Maybe it was some sick kid riding a high. But we didn't think that for long. We get within 50 yards and we hear this noise. A screeching kind of sound. It was sort of made up of two different sounds. One was a high-pitched screech. Another was a low-pitched growl. It was making both at the same time. We get within 20 yards and we hear this sound. I can't remember thinking that it sounded like a paper being torn apart while someone was swinging water in a bucket back and forth. Dad looks at me, kneels down and whispers, I gotta stay behind him cause we're about to corner him. Any animal will fight when it's cornered, especially when it's a predator, but we can tell by the tracks that's just one. He tells me it's probably a single feral dog, probably rabid. The plan is to sneak up on it while it's eating, shoot it, and then keep shooting it till it don't move no more. Then slit its throat. If it gets to dad, it's my job to shoot it or stab it to get it off him. So he walks up and I'm right behind him, just a tad to his side so I could see what it is. I wish to this day I hadn't. It was leaning over a carcass, tears off its flesh, and throws what it doesn't nibble aside. There's blood all over the brick, glistening in the moonlight. It's pale white, human looking, but not quite human. It had arms and legs like a human, 
but it sat like a monkey, hunched over. Its hands weren't normal. It had long fingers with claws at the end. So we see that, and my dad hesitates. He wasn't about to fire on a person, so he clears his throat to try to get it to turn around. I swear to God, all the noise just ceased. I ain't ever heard true silence before that, and not after it. But for two seconds, nothing, nothing made any noise, which made it all the louder when it turned around, made this shrill cry, and jumped on Dad. He got a shot off. I think he missed. If he hit the thing, it didn't mind, but it was on him. It tears parts of him off. I start shooting it with a 22, point blank, but it barely bled the thing. I got off five rounds, and then I started hitting it with the gun butt, but it wasn't budging. It didn't even register that I was there. It clawed at my dad, taking off bits of his flesh. It started on his torso, ripping off the skin, his tit, then it moved up. It tore off his throat, it tore off his nose, his eyes, it scalped him. Then it started digging in and ripped off the bottom half of his jaw, the little bones in that tube in your neck then his ribs I don't exactly remember what happened but somehow my dad's knife ends up in this thing's shoulder and my dad ends up on my back I'm running and by god I'm running faster than I'd ever run before or after and it's following me I end up back in the woods opposite the ones we've been in I'm heading towards my landlord's house cause it's half a mile away I can hear this thing screeching and moaning I hear a tree branches crack and get thrown around. It sounds like someone's taking an axe to every single tree I pass. It's cracking so loud and often, but I just ain't looking back. Finally, I trip in the gravel. I look up, and there's my landlord and a bunch of his buddies drinking around a campfire. I scream, and I cry, and they come over. I'm telling them to call an ambulance, and they looks at me, and I'll never forget what he said. What is that on your back, he asked me. Just as he said it, he saw one of those god-awful flannel shirts my dad wore everywhere. It was what was left of my dad. Most of his head, his torso, but nothing after the waist. Suddenly, we hear it, screeching. He grabs me. My dad gets thrown on the ground. I'm fighting him, crying, because I think we could still save him somehow. But my dad had been dead before I even picked him up. He has to pick me up and throw me inside before I come with him. He and his buddy were all inside and they're locking doors and getting guns. The landlord's asking me what happened, what happened, but I just don't know what to tell him. He pieced enough of it all together to understand that there was something dangerous there. All the lights in the house are on and someone calls the cops. They'll be there, but in 15 minutes. We look outside and see it walk in front of the fire they made. Don't know what it is. One of them says it looks like an ape. Suddenly, something goes through the window. We shoot at it, but it ain't the thing. It's my landlord's dog. Just the body though, not his head or legs. We start pushing things in front of doors and windows when we hear something in the garage. I remember one of his friends saying that the doors were open. We hear metal and glass just get ripped apart. We put a couch and a TV in front of the door to the garage. It banged around some more, but then it got quiet. 
not silent like it was before. We could hear it move around some, and the guys were talking, making sure the guns were ready. Someone hands me a pistol. No sooner did I cock the hammer back did we hear something shatter upstairs. Then we heard it screech again, except now it was louder, and it didn't echo and fade out because it was inside. We all rushed to the one door leading upstairs, and we got to it just as that thing did. It opened it just a bit, and four or five men just slammed into it. It got its hand through. Someone with a shotgun took care of that, put the barrel right up to its wrist, and pulled the trigger, cut its hand off clean. That only pissed it off, though. It started pushing on that door, clawing. We were on one side, pushing as best we could. And it was on the other, doing the same. That wood just wasn't going to hold. So someone tells us to keep our heads down. Suddenly, the top half of the door is just gone. My ears are ringing, and there are splinters everywhere. Two or three of them just unloaded on the top of that door. I don't really know where it went after that. The police got there. I was still glued to that door, what was left of it. The sun was up before they got me off it. They put me in a hospital for a while. A lot of people talked to me, but I didn't talk back. Not for a long, long time. When I got back home, I got a job from the landlord, working on a farm. We didn't talk much, not about the thing, but I signed up for the army when I was 19, and he sat me down to drink some scotch as a send-off. I asked him right away what the police told him. The story they went with was a wild animal, probably a wolf or maybe a bear that had migrated north. I asked him how they could say that when they had the hand. He looked at me stunned. He tells me that hand never made it back to the station. The cop who had it in his car wrecked, drove into a tree, died on impact. The hand was never found, probably taken away by the animal. The cops when they would acknowledge the hand existed at all, said it was simply the paw of a bear that looked like a human hand. I never talked to the landlord again. He went missing when I was in basic. The cops never found him. They said he owed some people some money and just ran away, but I don't think it's that simple. I never went back to those woods. I wouldn't, even if I had the whole goddamn U.S. Army at my back. But that was a lie. When my mother died, I didn't think my father felt he had anything left, and that he might as well settle old scores. He went to those woods. He never came back. The FBI was called. They did a show for everyone involved, but I knew they weren't really looking. I had to get one drunk and slip him a few fifties before he finally told me that they get a few calls about those woods every year, about someone up and vanishing. But that was all he wanted to tell me. Before, he got up and left with the rest of his team. He wrote, The Rake, onto a napkin. I didn't know what it meant until I searched for it on the internet. Honestly, I would have rather not known. Written by Max Minton. Happy Labor Day, everyone. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode on the Dark Cryptids podcast. I want to try to release an episode once a week, 
However, I'm not setting that in stone due to work and family. But thank you everyone for the support on a new podcast. So far, we already have an audience of 100 based on just the analytics and the first episode. But if you have any suggestions or want to submit a listener story, please direct message me on Instagram at the Dark Cryptids Podcast. But until next time, stay spooky, everyone.